Hey, hey, this is Coach Dr. Kim. You have got to subscribe to I'm Still Thinking. This newsletter is amazing and it is your opportunity to get inside my mind in between shows. And it's amazing what goes on inside of here. I mean, the things that I think about throughout the day and throughout the week, I cannot unleash them on the show. So if you want to connect in between shows, be sure to subscribe. There is a link available in the show notes and on my social media pages. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest. I mean, I'm everywhere. So there is no way you can miss it. I hope you subscribe and stay connected. Now on to the show. Hey, hey, this is Coach Dr. Kim here, and I have with me today the Executive Director of Faith in Texas and the founder of the Heritage Giving Fund, Ms. Akila Wallace. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Kim. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, I have been told that it is Black Philanthropy Month. Yes, it is. (laughs) I'm excited and I've been schooled on that because I have to be honest to say I had no idea and I love to learn new things. So I just want to give you a moment moment to introduce yourself and tell us how you um, came to be executive director and founder of these two wonderful initiatives and causes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's good to speak with you. Um, Well, Let me start by just saying, I mean, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, but I've been here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for about 15 years, and um, I became the Executive Director of Faith in Texas um, in 2018. Um, I joined the organization originally uh, in 2016 as the Development Director, um, joining a, you know, the fairly new organization and helping to um, build out their philanthropy or a development department, which is primarily around fundraising. And then um, a couple of years later was invited to um, promote it to become the executive director. Um, Faith in Texas, we're a nonpartisan, multiracial, multi-faith grassroots movement um, for racial, social, and economic justice. What that means is that we primarily participate in community organizing with congregations, with institutions of faith, um, churches, mosques, synagogues, and the likes, um, as well as with uh, lay people and community members. Ultimately, our goal is to train and develop leaders around issues that directly impact them for the purpose of mobilizing them to address um, policy and elections, um, both at the local and state and national levels. Uh, And so I have the honor of working with a wonderful group of grassroots leaders who are committed to engaging those uh, most oppressed and on the margin. So we center those who are formerly incarcerated, those who are undocumented, um, our LGBTQ plus communities, um, our our Muslim um, siblings, and the way of which like we create a space for them to be seen and heard, but ultimately for um, their vision for um, the liberation of God's people um, to to come into flourishing. Um, So that's my day-to-day job. (laughs) I mean, wow. (laughs) Can I just say, queen, put your crown on. Um, (laughs) That is just absolutely amazing. Um, I've just been in awe of all the work that you have done. And just for the sake of full transparency, I like to be transparent with my listeners. I've been Owen Aquila for a long time. And so, I mean, we ran track together. We go way, way back. And 
I'm just so proud of all the work that she has done and is doing. And um, it's just an honor to have her here to share this with you. And um, it makes me wonder, like growing up, did you see yourself doing what you're doing now? I mean, did you feel like it was deep down in you? How do you feel when I ask you that? Man, so... I mean, my initial reaction is no, I, I, I don't believe that that wasn't a, on my heart or minds as a, as a young person. Um, I thought I was going to be a dentist. <laughs> um, <laughs> she has beautiful teeth, by the way. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> thank you parents for investing um, in my orthodontics. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, even before that, I thought I wanted to be an attorney. And what I do know is that very young, I knew I wanted to make um, a lot of money. And so, you know, when you're young, you know, they have career days. I mean, usually you only hear about some of these traditional um, um, uh, career paths. So I wanted to be an attorney. Then I was like, oh, I really like when I go to the dentist. So, okay, I want to be a dentist. And so that was what I was leaning into. Um, But however, what was also happening that I recognized, I was able to recognize later in life, was that I also was deeply involved in youth um, development organizations like um, PhD, Positive Human Development. Um, They're um, based out of the Blackburn Recreation Center in Columbus, Mm. where I was participating in summer um, and year-long activities that intentionally centered um, my Blackness, uh, me understanding my history as a young Black person, um, understanding issues that were directly impacting um, Black people, um, as well as my father's from Detroit. So I was influenced by my trips to going to visit my family in Detroit, and there regularly being communications in the living room or, or conversations in the living room among family members around like issues that were really important to Black people and causes and about mm-hmm. politics and the like. So I was in proximity um, to, you know, these issues, but it never occurred to me that it would be part of my career trajectory. Um, and so, you know, no, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, all of the paths that I've been on um, led to this because then, you know, in my early career, I had the opportunity to work for the Columbus Post newspaper, um, which is, you know, one of the historically Black um, weekly publications in Columbus. And so it was there, I was exposed to um, Black leaders and politicians, you know, my first time going to like a luncheon and, you know, and back then, you know, you know, it was under Mayor Michael Coleman. So it was there that I was even beginning to be exposed to a variety of ways um, that we have our voices and that we blended in not only the uh, in business community, but in politics and, and other other areas. And so Nah, I didn't, I didn't think this is where I would be. Um, Right, right. (laughs) So tell me more about the concept of faith in Texas. And then this is kind of a two-part question. Mm -hmm. Mostly in the Texas area or are there like organizations in the nation? It's something that I'm just, I don't really hear about otherwise outside of the Texas area. So do you have affiliate um, organizations that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So Faith in Texas is a part of the Faith in Action National Network. And so we have, um, I believe there's over, I believe over 60 um, affiliated um, nonprofit organizations that are um, members of this network. 
um, there in Ohio, just the uh, Ohio Organizing Collaborative, which is a very powerful and amazing um, organization. Hmm. And so, yeah, we're a part of this network in the way of which like there's grassroots organizing. And it's also important to note that, you know, we're part of a, a, a multi-faith-based network. So it's faith-based uh, community organizing efforts that are taking place across this nation. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I want our listeners to understand that there's a possibility for them to get involved in the work as well. And grassroots means the people from the people for the people. Um, so they can look at the, for those opportunities. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the Heritage Fund. Um, you're a founder of that, correct? Yes, yes. So <laughs> prior to me joining Faith in Texas, I worked in the philanthropy industry, or, um, and more specifically with the Dallas Women's Foundation as part of their development team or their fundraising team. And it was a, an amazing <laughs> opportunity to be exposed to um, this, you know, this concept of philanthropy and seeing, you know, the diverse ways that, you know, in this space, predominantly women were, you know, contributing um, their their financial, you know, resources and their times and talents and, and the likes um, to help, you know, for the investments of causes that directly impacted women and girls. Um, and then also, it was a grant making foundation. And so I also was, you know, um, exposed to the diversity of nonprofit organizations um, that were seeking out funding um, from the institution. And, but also, you know, in that space, what I, you know, and I was responsible for kind of managing volunteers and I was engaged with many of our, you know, diverse um, donor um, groups um, that we, you know, stewarded and cultivated. Um, and, but what was, what I, was clear to me was that I didn't see many women of color and specifically black women. And so for me, I saw it as an opportunity to be like, okay, so how can I contribute to increasing the pipeline of Black women who are engaging with the foundation? And so I started doing some research around um, 2015, because I was like, you know, what, what are other foundations or what, what does Black giving look like in other parts of the country? And that's when I came across giving circles. <laughs> and I was really excited to learn about this, um, you know, this concept and especially the way that it was um, growing and, um, you know, the intentionality of how it really was um, really uh, attractive to um, uh, cultural groups or um, different ethnicity groups. Mm -hmm. And so um, just for, you know, confirming the actual definition, um, a given circle is a group who pooled their personal time, talents, treasure, and testimony to address social issues, um, impacting their communities using thoughtful given strategies. Um, the activities of a given circle include grant making, advocacy, and public education um, as complementary ways to demystify philanthropy by making it accessible and more democratic to everyday people. And so in learning about you know, the given circles, I was uh, introduced to community, um, the Community Investment Network, which is a national network of Black given circles, as well as to the Young Black and Giving Back Institute, uh, which is um, a phenomenal organization of whom um, I had was able to attend one of their summits back in 2016 um, to help expose me to you know, more around Black philanthropic giving. Um, and then ultimately I wanna you know, lean into, you know, this is August, which is Black Philanthropy Month. Uh, and learning about, you know, this wonderful, you know, opportunity to uh, uplift uh, Black philanthropy. 
um, is noted that this is a, a global celebration um, and it was created by Dr. Jackie uh, Bouvier Copeland and the Pan-African Women's Philanthropy Network. Um, and it was officially launched in 2011. Um, to, yeah, 2011. So they're celebrating 10 years. Um, and in, in 2013, two amazing women, um, Valeda, I'm sorry, Valeda Fullwood and Tracy Webb um, were co-architects and helping to collaborate with um, Dr. Bouvier Copeland to scale up the annual campaign and invite widespread, widespread public participation. So um, I just want to also you know, name that this year's theme for the 10-year anniversary um, is tenacity, um, making equity real. So uh, yeah, so all of these, you know, this learnings is what contributed to me, you know, saying, hey, I want to be able to start a, a given circle. And so I reached out to some women that were close to me, some mentors here in the Dallas area. And ultimately, in 2017, Heritage was founded by myself and um, my dear mentors um, and, 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 and uh, partners in crime, I should say, in the way that we <laughs> trying to disrupt, you know, some of the traditions yeah. of philanthropy. Um, Dr. Halima Lee Francis, who's our co-chair, and Dr. Francois Booker-Drew, who is our grants chair. Right. So what were some of the barriers to um, Black women contributing to philanthropy? Well, it wasn't that there was a barrier to Black women, because historically, we've been giving <laughs> uh, significant, uh, significant amounts of our money for generations, right? Mm -hmm. um, all traditionally, Black folks, we give through our church. Amen. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're given through our, you know, historic institutions like sororities and fraternities, um, through Jack and Jill, the links, you know, all of these um, incredible institutions. Um, alumni are given to their HBCUs or to their universities. Um, we're supporting organizations that directly impact us, as well as, you know, what we don't want to leave off the table is just the way in which as a community, we, we sow seeds into one another as needed, right? right? You may have a neighbor and you, you know, that that person has a young person who's trying to, you know, pay for their after school program and, you know, and you just make a, you know, you sow a seed, right? Or Girl Scout cookies, right? There's all the, so we've been giving. Um, what was taking place or what I witnessed was that all of that effort and the significant investment that we were already making was not being recognized or not being, as well as not being fully respected mm -hmm. as it, in traditional philanthropy spaces as seeing us as viable um, contributors to some of these philanthropic efforts, right? Most of the, like, kind of the prospecting list of who were major donors or, you know, new donors that you wanted to bring into the pipeline, um, they, it wasn't many of us because we, you know, may not have been in the same networks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it was traditionally, you know, C-suite level individuals or and or those who may come from philanthropic families, you know, had, um, generational wealth, um, who had, you know, some of these more traditional names that people in the community knew, right? Because their families' names are on buildings or on streets, right? Um, so there just wasn't that much consideration taking place for the everyday Black woman, Black man, um, who absolutely has been giving. Um, so, so does that lim cause limitations downstream for input 
into the infrastructures that are built and the policy decisions that are made because they're not seen as viable sources of philanthropy? Absolutely. And so I will say that the, the tides are changing and you know, even pre, you know, the uprising of the Black Lives Matter, or at least really this second uprising um, that took place last year in 2020, um, there already was a shift taking place. And, and I want to attribute um, given circles to that, to that movement and to that shift in the way that we've said, well, okay, one, I think even for us as a people, and I'll speak for myself in saying I was not interested in a way on which like I was gung-ho about joining anyone else's table mm-hmm. uh, or predominantly um, white spaces when I'm like, I'm not trying, I'm not here to prove to you my, um, my value or the collective value of my people. I know it. And so as we have <laughs> always, we take care of our own. And so we can pool our own resources together to, in- to create the impact that we want to have. Um, and then also ensure that we're positioning ourselves to be in spaces to influence policy, this decision-making. Um, and it doesn't always have to be internal because there's an inside-outside strategy to everything. So the, yes, there are those who are inside, but I believe we were able to contribute to an outside perspective. Um, a component of our a heritage giving fund that's really important to us outside of just our collective giving, which has attributed to over $100,000 in funds that have been um, raised and do, uh, donated to 11, I'm sorry, 17 different organizations here in North Texas in the last four years. But also we contribute to narrative change. We have been very intentional about the way that we have been in the media, that we have social media, you know, regular communications um, that we, you know, are positioning ourselves for, you know, especially in the pandemic when everything went virtual, right? And everything was about panel discussions or, you know, all these different webinars. We made sure we were the go-to organization and all of our members were positioned to be the voices, to be in these spaces, to be able to speak very boldly and authentically about um, our perspective as Black women leading in the nonprofit sector, as Black women who are in close proximity to the community and to the issues that are most um, directly impacting us and others. And so, yeah, no, it it absolutely was intentional about, you know, broadening um, the impact that we would have and that narrative change. And so it it forced um, a lot of people to have to like change their perspective um, and also prioritizing that if decisions are being made, especially in the nonprofit sector, Mm-hmm. around services that directly impact predominantly black, brown, um, and low-income people and indigenous people as well, you know, folks, that you can't be coming up with um, sustainable <laughs> solutions without any of those people actually being at the table. Yeah, yeah. They have to have a voice. <laughs> and yeah. a leading voice. Don't just have it there for, you know, right. propping us up for, you know, for looks. Like, no, we need to be the leading voices in these spaces because um, you can't tell us about us better than we can. <laughs> <laughs> and so that you actually segued me into the next question. Um, so because, so you're involved, so your advocacy is for multiple people, you know, you like you say multi, how do you bridge those communications? Um, what, 
I don't even know how to frame that question. In this world where um, some parties are unable to understand that a person can stand in the gap for Black, Brown, LGBTQ, um, Indigenous people and not necessarily be a member of all. I mean, you can't be all. Mm-hmm. but you can advocate and be an ally. Um, how did, what, are, what are some tactics you use to be a bridge? So I will say, you know, leaning to what I've learned by way of being in community organizing. And a part of our organizing cycle, you know, starts with listening. Mm-hmm. So we, it's important for folks to just listen to groups, individuals and groups that are representative of, of, a, of another group that is, as you know, more likely oppressed or suppressed than, than you may be. Um, and so I, I lean this outside of just even race, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, you know, we know that there's a traditional kind of dominant narrative um, that leans into a white person's perspective. And then we recognize patriarchy and the way that um, men can, you know, have a, um, a dominant um, position or perceive, you know, position over um, women or um, over other genders. And then economically, right? You know, so for me, I, it's always thinking of one, recognizing where you are in proximity to another group mm. and the way of which that you know there may be actual and or perceived um uh superiority and how to recognize it and make note of it and but then also proceed accordingly afterwards and so then there's you know again leaning into the the listening and so it's important for you to like not just show up ready to to speak <laughs> or you know because people in there recognize is that when you show up and it's as genuine as you may be, you're, you're showing up with existing or pre-existing biases, <laughs> you know, and you may not even realize how that's coming out um, in, in your speak. So listen and let other folks speak on behalf of themselves. Um, and as part of, then also part of that bridging, um, that listening, how that's taking place is allowing the, the other person to feel safe to be telling parts of their story. Yeah. So you're listening for their story. You know, I think sometimes folks get caught up in wanting to listen for like data. And facts like that they produce, like facts that they want to cling to. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Versus how about you just trust that I'm telling you, this is my understanding based off of my lived experience. Mm-hmm. And I say, no, I'm telling you what you just did was a microaggression from my experience as a black woman. Right. It's right. I felt it. <laughs> like, yeah, this, you know what I mean? Like whether <laughs> that was your intention or not. And also and from that recognizing that I likely am able to share this with you based off of a series of lived experiences. Like this isn't the first time, like I'm able to recognize it, not because like, oh my gosh, this is the first time. No, it's because it's been um, recurring in my life. So that's a part of the bridging, so the listening, the allowance of storytelling, um, the, you know, kind of some general norms that, you know, most folks, like, they don't have the intention of trying to, to harm you. But mm-hmm. if and when there is harm or trauma, um, it's important for us to be able to name 
explicitly what it's or for for first if you're the person who's been harmed it's worth for you to, to be thinking about what is it that i want from the person who has harmed me mm. whether mm-hmm. that is you know and being okay with reality that you may not get that yeah but also but at least have an understanding of that but also for the person who may be the one who created the harm for you to be you know prepared for how you need to right the wrong mm-hmm. uh, and even knowing that you might not even be clear about how to do that right but again you have to be in communication and and, and willing to open up a, a, a trusting relationship mm-hmm. um, and then ultimately you know through just bridging um is listening for commonalities as well yeah right you know so moving beyond just like what's different about us and in that storytelling and listening make a note of like the connection points right so mm-hmm. i may not be able to connect with you you know i'm a black woman and i'm talking to a asian man but through our story i've learned that you're a parent mm-hmm. right and so that's a connection point like there's there are some similar you know some experiences or connections through the fact that we're parents or that we're from the same region of this country right you know you got to be intentional about how you're listening for um, connections and then ultimately um you know possibly finding you know what 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 are some shared um issues or you know what you want to work together on mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah, yeah also it's like you know just knowing you know these things is fine but ultimately especially for those who uh, are part of a dominant uh group it's one of those like so once you know what are you willing to do to to stand in solidarity with the other person um, or group to help mitigate the the what they're feeling or what is um, undergirding you know their their problem right? How right. can you contribute to dismantling whether it's something systemic <laughs> um, or it may not even be that deep, um, but just the way of which like maybe there's someone else in the room who is problematic. How are you showing up boldly to, you know, <laughs> in support mm-hmm. of another individual? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. again, it can be as high level or as, as simple <laughs> as we want to make it, but we have to be intentional about it and be, and um, just be, being more aware. I believe yeah. there's some folks who's just walking through life, just, just going and, and there's a privilege in that as well. Like when you just walking around, just like, I mean, I don't know. Everything's great. Like, you know, yeah, you have no I, idea. I, yeah. I get <laughs> when it's like, uh, hello, <laughs> I'm, or, you know, I'm not into politics, you know, that's not my thing, but I'm like, so you do realize that it's, politics directly impacts every single one of us. And while you're choosing not to concern yourself with, you know, politics, voting, whatever the case may be there's millions of people over here who potentially are facing eviction or, you know, who are losing their life due to, you know, <laughs> um, you know, discriminatory health disparities, whatever, the case, whatever, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like burying your head in the sand does not help anybody. <laughs> absolutely not. And then also it's important to know at some point or whether you recognize or not, that issue can and likely will directly impact you at some point. It may not be you directly, 
but it could be your child later in life, your children's children's children, or your neighbor, or, you know, some- It stresses the system eventually. And yeah. then everyone's impacted by the system as a whole. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you, you took me down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was good though, because it was good. I think um, I wanted the people to hear that from you because we, you know, a lot of people get high level information and not practical communication tools and sometimes it's just fear keeping people from talking and so if you just you know if if I was to summarize what you said is talk to people and if you mess up recover from it (laughs) you know like apologize fix it I mean you know like you're not no one's asking you to be perfect um but don't just turn your back yes don't (laughs) turn your back yeah and act like it's not happening (laughs) that part and um and also you know I'll add in that you know kind of cycle of bridging the relationship you know find points of like celebration together oh yeah that's a good one you know what I mean recognize the wins no matter how small they are if the win is just like hey at first we were you know neighbors who barely spoke and then now we've been slowly you know finding connection points and the next you know like I've you know a year later I was grilling and I invited you over and we was able to spend time to get you know what I mean like that's Mm -hmm. a win right because it's about recognizing um, this this journey and this path from a state of you know likely c- complete like uh, division or misunderstanding or whatever case may be yeah. to ultimately like some form of deeper relationship and not to say that you now become best friends and y'all get a y'all agree on everything right right uh, but ultimately you we found a way to coexist in a loving safe matter. And also hopefully either party is more aware of what is directly impacting the other. So when you see something that could be, uh, that could produce harm or be in conflict uh, or, you know, for the others, you'll be willing or more willing, you know what I mean? To, to show up mm-hmm. with them or for them. And it don't even necessarily, and it could be in ways where they'll never even know. Yeah. Right. Like it's right. not, because I think with social media and all these things, like people feel the need to always like highlight what they've done, especially when they've done good. Right. Um, <laughs> that we also need to be, you know, aware of the ways in which like we could be doing something that benefits another and, and hopefully many other um, lives. And there's no public recognition or credit necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Just It just happens. It just and, happened. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, so you, I mean, you are obviously a busy woman. <laughs> and um, the, one of the, the main mantra of this show is to be present, be open, and be intentional. So be three. Um, how do you, so basically how you stay grounded, you know, in life, you got to be present, open, and intentional. Um, what are the ways that you do that for yourself? in all this busyness (laughs) man so (laughs) 
and I was like, I mean, this has been a learning process, right? So I, I won't just say like, I've always been like really great at this. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a day-to-day like journey and process. Um, so first um, for me to be present, I have learned that I have missed out on opportunities by way of me not being present. Mm. And for me, I take present as in more than just like physically being there. Mm-hmm. I'm a, a unmarried mother. I won't say single because there's so many people in my village where I'm definitely not by myself. Um, I'm an unmarried mother to two boys um, and have been for the last 21 years. And through, you know, this career trajectory and, you know, all of these things, the way I've, you know, give a lot of time and energy to the community. Um, what I learned is that it's some key moments that even though I'm like, mom's always here, like, cause I always come home and you're always here that I started recognizing that also, even when the kids were coming with me to meetings and that they were with me. Yeah. But then I caught myself in moments where they were just trying to share how, you know, something that happened at school or, you know, something that was important to them. And I mean, I was sitting there and they were speaking and I'm just like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, preach. Right. But then, (laughs) and then, you know, we move on, but then there was always kind of like this moment that like called out the fact that I really wasn't present. I really wasn't listening and Mm. really taking in this moment that my child was trying to have with me. Mm -hmm. And so what I have learned is, or I missed something really important that they said. So to be present, I've learned to like, try my best to like, you know, if someone's talking to me or if we're together, you know, friends or family, whatever, put my phone away. (laughs) Tell me about it. Right. I mean, I have two phones, you know, I got a work (laughs) phone, I got, you know, my personal (laughs) phone and there's probably about shoot seven eight different email addresses connected to the two right Mm -hmm. and so there's always something hitting the inbox there's always an alert from one of these social media pages um so i put my devices away um i make time to watch movies you know with my son go to the you know well when we could you know (laughs) go to the movies (laughs) um even at, at work you know with my my team and my staff um you know i tell them you know hey we have, well, we have our one-on-ones, like intentional one-on-one meetings. That is like an opportunity for me to be fully present and focused on one hearing, like, how are you? Right. What, what do you need? How can I support you? Whether it's personally or professionally, um, but also to just even just make time to just hear, you know, and thought partner with what that person needs from me in that moment. So mm-hmm. be present. And then lastly, what I'll ask in the way in which I'm present for myself is, and I've, I've kind of always done it, you know, but not necessarily on purpose because it just happened because I was so mentally and physically drained that when I, you know, take vacations or take some time off, like I do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's no, you know, I'm for whatever reason there might be one something that has to get take place in that in that moment, but ultimately I just be like, look, this is my time for me, for my mind, for my body, for you know my joy my spirituality whatever it is that case may be so but I have to like be very intentional Mm -hmm. Um, I set time where I on my calendar that's blocked that nope 
this is for family or this is for me. This is for, you know, whatever the case may be. So that even when someone's like, oh, I really want to talk to you. I want to do something in this time period. Um, I maintain those boundaries. So that's how I stay that's present. Good. Yeah. Uh, to be open and I'll shorten it up. <laughs> um, be open. What has helped me with this and being open has been working at Faith in Texas. Hmm. I believe that, you know, and just even, I mean, just growing up and becoming wiser, right? And having yeah. more experience. When I think about my my 19-year-old self and, you know, pointed to views that I may have had about myself or others, um, you know, that was, you know, deeply, you know, guided by, you know, influences, you know, from family and church and, you know, and, and the likes, right? Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be in community with a diversity of people with a diversity of lived experiences where it has opened up my mind and my perspective um, and around really hard topics like um, harm, I mean, forgiveness around harm, right? Um, what brought me to the social justice movement, like working in it um, was really birthed out of me um, experiencing the tragic loss of my, my cousin, my loved one, Jamal, Jamal who yeah. was shot and killed um, in 2016. And that took me on a really deep journey around like, just even like, wow, someone did this, like you took my loved one's life. Mm -hmm. Um, but being at faith in Texas has, you know, and engaging with those who have been incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, who've committed, you know, a variety of different offenses, um, and recognizing that, you know, how there's so many systemic issues that have attributed to, you know, how, you know, young people are being pushed into these, you know, unfortunate circumstances that they're not choosing at any age to be like, I want to be this part, or, you know what I mean? I want to do these things out, you know? Right, right. So that um, has contributed to me being more open mm -hmm. um, to diverse people's situations um, and things. Um, and so, you know, it also, you know, creates, you know, some moments, you know, where of tension, you know, when, folks are very clear around especially be working in the faith space yes <laughs> uh, you know we have folks who have very clear you know <laughs> value systems and beliefs um and 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 hold very strong and truly to that of which you know i've learned to respect but my mind i've, I've grown into just a little bit more openness to loving mm -hmm. people um where they are and 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 more specifically because i hope that people will do that for me yeah. And then lastly, about being intentional. I've been like this for a long time. I, I I didn't realize it, but I mean, I don't know if it was the cancer. I mean, I mean, I've always just been kind of, you know, I only deal with certain people, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's always been her, y'all. Even on the track, you see her run a 200 meter, 100 meter dash. Keela don't play. <laughs> if I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm tasked to do something, I'm going to do it. Right. So I'm going to be very intentional. Um, I'm not just going to just do things just to do it. Like I'm thinking about how does this contribute to something greater? Um, mm -hmm. How does this contribute to, you know, my, my future, to my legacy? Like here at this age, it's 42. Everything for the most part is connected to how does this attribute to my legacy? If I were gone tomorrow mm -hmm. what did I do or say 
how did I live? How did I serve? Mm -hmm. How did I love? How did it impact the story that's going to be left behind about me? Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. Whether it's my sons and how they speak about their mother, whether it's about my friends, whether it's about someone who just ran into me, like encountered me in the grocery store. Um, you know, that's that's me. I'm, I'm intentional. Um, and not to say that I'm perfect. You know, I mean, I make mistakes and, you know, I'm not a walking on eggshells either. You know, I'm definitely a free person. Right. <laughs> you know, um, there's, there's elements of that free where I'll be like, Ooh, I hope, you know, folks are just sitting around recording me in, in these moments. <laughs> There could be a lack of intentionality in like some things, but for the most part, I just try to be very considerate because um, I don't know if it's that I don't consider myself to be morbid or anything, but what I do know is that life is fleeting and that, you know, with the experiencing loss and just keep, and as we just keep living, right, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's just got to right. make sure, you know, for me, I guess I'm just always like, I'm hoping and pray that, you know, that I reduced the number of moments where it was like you was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. As best I can. So hopefully I'm in the, I try to be where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing in a way that doesn't uh, bring harm to myself or others. Absolutely. Well, hey, <laughs> that is definitely being present, being open and being intentional. Um, I know that I've learned a lot. I, and as long as I've known you, I feel like I learned more than I knew before we talked today. So um, I know the listeners have learned a lot. Is there anything else you want to share with us today? Man, um, well, really, I just want to invite people, um, you know, back to the Black Philanthropy Month and thinking about their giving this month and really year round. Mm -hmm. And again, thinking about, you know, how they're being intentional um, and being strategic about, you know, your giving, you know, again, oftentimes we there's asked taking place all the time. Now, you know, we have, you know, GoFundMe, we have people doing Mm -hmm. Facebook fundraisers, you know, you know, marathons, um, you know, whatever the case may be, um, be thoughtful around your giving. You know, if you were a youth, um, who was in, you know, some type of after-school program as a child, and you knew that that, you know, attributed to, you know, the ability for your parents to, you know, to be working and for you to be cared for and fed, you know, think about, is that organization still in exist? excuse me, in existence? And maybe, you know, let me just sow a seed of, you know, $10, mm. $20, right? Whatever, you know, is meaningful to you. Um, and, and do that because, Every dollar counts. And especially during Black Philanthropy Month, we really want to like elevate and highlight, you know, the opportunities for us to be intentionally um, investing in issues and causes that mean something really important, you know, deeply to us. Um, For those who maybe, you know, intrigued by this concept of a given circle, then, you know, I say reach out to, you know, uh, look into if there's a community foundation in in your community. Um, those are usually great um, resources to connect with. Uh, they have the infrastructure to support um, a you know philanthropic you know group in that way, um, as well as um, I invite people that you know if you can't give your treasures at this time, 
or at the same time, you can donate your time and your talents. Many of us have a variety of different gifts. And sometimes in volunteerism, um, folks may just be thinking about, well, how can I show up to, you know, help stuff bags or something like that. But um, there's many of us, who, you know, have professional expertise or skill sets. You're good at, you know, planning events, you know, project management, accounting, you know, something very um, specific, you know, you know, the health industry, right? Right. Um, what what organizations you know may exist where you can lend that expertise on a committee or on a board of directors um, um, or you know some other role that could really be um, influential and impactful um, to a group who is directly serving the community. So if you're thinking of animals or you know youth, athletics, you know whatever the case may be, whatever you know really brings you joy or excites you find a common nonprofit organization um, to, to get behind and support. Um, do your, you know, do your homework about them, look into them, ask questions, have meetings with, you know, members of their team to, you know, see whether or not they're in alignment with you. Because um, just because they, you know, represent the cause that you have interest in doesn't necessarily mean that that's a good fit for you as well. So, you know, interview <laughs> right. um, and, and find a good match and, and get to work because uh, we need all of us out here um and also you know it's important that it's said that you don't have to come from a certain income or professional experience or educate you know academic background like literally everyone has the opportunity to you know attribute their gifts in some way Mm -hmm. right at faith in texas we have who we call leaders or influencers as part of our work who are, you know, formerly incarcerated individuals. And as we're working on policies to address um, the incarceration system, just them being present and sharing their perspectives and experiences is, is supporting our ability to help rewrite policy. Yeah. When they can say, well, no, when I got booked in, this is what happened and it took this long and this is how they treated me. And this mm -hmm. is what they provided or didn't provide, right? Then that attributes to the way of which our services are carried out and how we can support. So everyone has a story. Everyone has something that they can contribute that um, is, is powerful um, and you know, transformative. Yeah, everybody's a subject matter expert about something. Something, <laughs> okay. Look, you might be able to jump really high. And yeah. <laughs> And somebody out here needs to understand how to do that in a way that's going to like solve some type of problem. <laughs> right, right. I hear that. So where can the listeners find you? Yes. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram under the handle Aquila S Legacy, or you also interpret it as Aquila's legacy <laughs> S, S is my middle initial so it's a-k-i-l-a-h-s legacy um so those are the best ways to, to engage and follow me um, as well as i invite people to go to heritagegivingfund.org and faithintx.org to learn about the incredible community organizing work um, being led by faith in texas i'm here based out of dallas all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have enjoyed this so much. I'm so glad we got to connect. And um, if you didn't know about Black Philanthropy Month, now you know.
<laughs> you have been listening to I've been thinking Kim's coaching. Peace out. Peace. To schedule a session with Kim, visit www.kimregis.com where you can learn more about her. You can also book a free life coaching consultation. Find the link to her book, Meeting Just Fine, A Life-Changing Encounter, available on Amazon.com. View her TED-style talk and download useful resources. Tune in next week for more I've Been Thinking, Kim's Coaching.